This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Two lengthy shows tonight. You know what that means, huh? Yeah, a trip to the back of the studio so I can plunk down in that overstuffed chair and listen in along with you to Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis in a show first aired in 1949. It's the Martin and Lewis Show! Broadcasting Company brings you transcribed from Hollywood, the Martin and Lewis Show. Featuring Flo McMichael, Sheldon Leonard, Ben Alexander, Dick Stabile and his orchestra, and starring Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Well, right now we find Dean and Jerry in their hotel room preparing to go to their nightclub. The boys have made a strenuous series of personal appearances. Jerry, especially, is all tired out. Gee, Dean, I sure wish we didn't have to go to the club tonight. I'd rather just stay here in a room and read a book or listen to our Martin and Lewis program being released at a more inconvenient time. Jerry, <laughs> you don't seem to have much pep in it. I think you need some proper exercise, Jerry, maybe a bodybuilding course. What'd you say? I said, wouldn't you like to take a course in bodybuilding? Sure, if I could learn to build one like Ava Gardner. <laughs> Jerry, I, I'm trying to give you advice. Can't you be serious once? Must you always play the buffoon? Buffoon? <laughs> what do you mean buffoon? I don't play the buffoon, I play the trumpet. Jerry! I used to play the trumpet back home at the Elks Club every Saturday night. Jerry, will you please stop? Dean, it's times like these that make me think you should have kept your nose and had the rest of you removed. <laughs> Jerry, now, how can you talk to me like that? You know, it hurts me when you say things about my physical appearance. I'm sorry, Dean, I didn't mean it. As a matter of fact, I was just going to say how good you look in that suit. Well, thanks, Jerry. Of course, clothes make the man. After all, what would a man be without clothes? Naked. <laughs> Come on, get your coat and let's go All right I wonder if I need my raincoat Wait a minute, I'll pull up the window shade and see what the weather is like Not bad, just a little drizzle I think a... <laughs> What's the matter? Look across the court in that window there See, there's a hand with a gun in it Yeah, and it's aimed right at the guy's back <laughs> Oh, he did it Look, they pulled down the shade, Jerry. This is awful. Call the manager. Yeah, we ought to insist on another room immediately. <laughs> no, we've got to report the murder. Why don't we call the police? The managers like to know these things first. Oh, I see. That gives them a chance to move the body to another hotel. <laughs> Look, if you're not going to call, I'll do it. Don't get excited, Dean. Keep calm. The main thing is keep calm. 
Jerry, relax. Get your mind off of it. Think of a pretty girl. You know, that must be room 607 across from us. They don't seem to answer. Come on, Jerry. Let's go down to the manager's office. Jerry? Jerry, what's that strange look on your face? Ah, oh, Dean, you spoiled everything. I was just thinking of a pretty girl. I almost had a friend for you. <laughs> Have you forgotten that we've got to report a murder? Now, let's go to the elevator. Gee, these thick hotel carpets are noisy. <laughs> now, look, Jerry. Don't open your mouth about this murder until we see the manager. Anyone might be the guilty party, you know. Going down. Okay. Uh, lovely day. Yeah. You think she did it? No, don't be silly. I'll find out. I'll question her. Hey, sister. See anything suspicious in the last few minutes? What do you mean? Any dead people get on the elevator? <laughs> oh, Jerry, lay up. I- I'm sorry, miss. Uh, did he frighten you? Oh, that kind of talk doesn't scare me. I once found two bodies. Well... You certainly kept the right one. <laughs> Name Alby. Now, look, there's the manager's office, Jerry. Come on, hurry, hurry. Gee, our feet make the same noise on a tile floor that they do on a carpet. <laughs> well, there's the manager in there now. Let's not scare him. Break it gently. Uh, hello, Mr. Silvernail. Well, how do you do, gentlemen? My, I both look upset. Got a complaint? Yes, you gave us a room overlooking a murder. What are you talking about? We saw someone get murdered. Yeah, and we think it's room 607. Oh, a couple of peeping toms. I am not. I only looked through a keyhole once in my life and never did it again. Why not? Someone stuck a key in my eye and tried to open my head. What about you, Martin? Don't tell me you never looked through a keyhole. Absolutely not. I'm a transom man. <laughs> Look, Mr. Silvernail, we're wasting time. The murderer will escape. Look, I know you boys are great jokesters, but let's not kid about a thing like that. But the man in 607 was killed, and we know it. Mr. Milford lives in room 607. He's just not the type of person who gets murdered. <laughs> Call room 607 on a phone, and if a man answers... Brother, have you got long distance? (laughs) Listen, I don't have time for this nonsense. I'm a busy man. Good day. Good day. Good day. (laughs) Ah, come on, Jerry. No use talking to him. You'll be sorry. Next time we see a man get murdered here, we won't tell you, and he'll just lay there running up a big bill. Ah, <laughs> oh, don't argue, Jerry. We'll just have to call the police. That's what we should have done first. Here, I'll use this phone in the lobby. Hello, operator? I want to report a murder to the police. Police Department, homicide, Sergeant Douglas. Listen, Sergeant, my name is Jerry Lewis. I said something Listen, Sergeant uh, I want to report a murder Gosh, I remember when I used to have to tell jokes to get laughed Sergeant, there's been a murder 
Oh, this is no use. See, if a murder does that, just think of the laugh we could get with a massacre. Hey, Jerry, look who's walking across the lobby. Why, it's the famous reporter, Emma Blurb. Nadine, she could help us. She must know all the police reporters. Oh, that's right. Uh, Miss Blurb. Well, Jerry Lewis Dean. Martin. <laughs> Miss Blurb, we've got to talk to you. Oh, and you boys got a scoop. Someone has been murdered. Oh, a double scoop. Miss Blurb, we don't know who the victim is, but uh, we certainly saw him murdered. Murdered in cold blood. We didn't take the temperature. Uh, we've got to get the police over here, but... They won't listen to us. We thought perhaps you could call a police reporter and... Oh, I'm sorry. I don't report murders unless the victims are being sued for divorce. You mean you won't help us? Well, perhaps I will. If I'm nice to you, maybe someday if you're having a baby, you'll tell me first. If I'm ever having a baby, I think I should tell my wife first. <laughs> Jerry Lewis, you're pulling my leg, and I think you're very <laughs> Miss Blurp, what about the murder? Oh, yes, murder. I have one thing to say to all murders. Surely you know that you're not helping the box office any by killing people. If you must kill somebody, at least try and limit it to people who buy popcorn. <laughs> and now, good... Uh, oh, yes, good night. <laughs> Well, that's a lot of help she gave us. Come on, Jerry, let's get to the police. Okay, Dean, but before we go, will you sing a song? It'll add to the suspense. <laughs> but how can I sing here in the hotel lobby? Easy. There's a potted orchestra behind those plans. <laughs> well, okay, come on, stand by for telling. <laughs> Sunshine follows you Everywhere you go The skies are always blue Children love you They seem to know You bring roses Out of the snow The whole world says hello
let's go to the police station. Jerry, maybe we'd better forget about the whole thing. Forget that we've seen a murder committed? Dean, what are you saying? I couldn't forget the whole thing. What would my scoutmaster say? <laughs> Jerry, are you still a Boy Scout? Yes, and don't forget, a Boy Scout is loyal. A Boy Scout is truthful. A Boy Scout is trustworthy. And next week, I'm joining the Girl Scouts. <laughs> joining the Girl Scouts? Why? A Boy Scout also likes to have fun. <laughs> Well, Jerry, we still have quite a problem on our hands. You know, if nobody will believe we saw a murder, what are we going to do? We got to get to the police station. Oh, this being in a police station makes me kind of nervous. Come on, Jerry, let's talk to the desk sergeant. I beg your pardon, sir. Oh, hello. Uh, find a stray dog? No, this is my partner, Jerry Lord. <laughs> Well, I suppose it's all right, then. Sure it's all right. I got a license. <laughs> Look, Mr. Policeman, we just saw a murder committed. Yeah, over at the Plaza Hotel, and there was terrible blood all over the place, hollering and screaming. Oh, it was terrible, wasn't it, Jerry? Yeah, it was murder. <laughs> Look, I know all about you guys. They called me from the hotel. You're just troublemakers, and I don't want to hear anything. Oh, troublemakers? Yeah. Hey, Charlie, throw these troublemakers out. Okay, Joy boys. Here we go. Upsy-daisy. Hey, hold on there. You... Mm. Well, that was a bright idea. Now what'll we do? I know. Let's go to the newspapers. They've got to listen to us. Yeah, those newspaper guys are always very nice. You know that, Jerry? They've got a lot of influence, too. Hey, Jerry, do you know Walter Winchell? You mean the head of the FBI? <laughs> Jerry, do we know any reporters? No, but we're standing right in front of a newspaper office now. Let's go in. <laughs> Come on, Dean. Follow me down this corridor. I've been here before. I'll find someone who'll believe our murder story. I'm right behind you, Jerry. Hey, this is quite a big newspaper office at that. Yeah. Look in this door here. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Sugar is sweet. And so are... Uh... Oh, darn, I just can't seem to get it to rhyme. Well, who was that? Nick Kenny. <laughs> hey, look, Jerry, there's another door. Let's look and see who's working in there. Sure. Let's see who's in there. Oh, excuse us, Mr. Pegler. <laughs> Oh, look, Dean. There's the editor's office. He's the one we want. Come on in here. Yes? Hey, what's the idea of bringing that Dalmatian in here? <laughs> that's not a Dalmatian. That's Jerry Lewis. A dog with a last name? <laughs> no, no. You don't quite understand. I'm Jerry Lewis. I'm a fella. <laughs> you see, Mr. Editor... We live over at the Plaza Hotel, and we saw a murder. Oh, I know all about it. And I know all about you, too. Hey, Murphy, throw these two bums out of here. <laughs> okay, boss. Come on, kiddies. Dowdy's gonna kiss you goodbye. <laughs> well, here we are out in the street again. Fine thing. 
Murder's committed. Nobody cares. I guess here after we better just mind our own business. Yeah, that's the best way. There they are, boys. There's the two nuts that are running loose. Grab them. Look, where'd Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis? We know, we know. We're taking you to a nice, quiet place in the country where you can work the whole thing out. Come on, Joe. Get the jackets on them. Hey, let me go, will well, you? What's the idea? I'm Dean Martin, the singer. Yeah? How do I know that? Sing him a couple of notes, Dean. Yeah, listen, I'll prove it. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind, Georgia on my mind. Georgia, Georgia, a song of you comes as sweet and clear as moonlight through the pines. Other arms reach out to me Other eyes smile tenderly Still in peaceful dreams I see the road leads back to you Georgia Georgia No peace I find Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia On my mind Other arms reach out to me I smile tenderly Still in peaceful dreams I see The road leads back to you Georgia Georgia no peace I find Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on Well, what do you say now, bud? Do you believe he's Dean Martin? You convinced now? No, you're not Dean Martin. You're Bing Crosby. <laughs> Come on, into the car, boys. 
But where are you taking it? Oh, don't worry. You'll like it there. You'll meet a lot of your old friends. Old friends? Who? Oh, like Napoleon. Napoleon? But he's been dead so long, he'll never remember me. (laughs) I'll introduce you. Now, come on, get in the car. Dingy. Yeah, Jer. This guy's taking us for a ride, Ding. I've seen it a million times in the movies. They take us to a lonely road and leave us to die. We're lost. We wander around hopeless, starving, we're hungry. There's nothing to eat, and we finally start looking at each other like cannibals. And you come over to me and start feeling where the white meat is, and Dean. Why? Take big bites, don't let me suffer. Jer. Okay, boys, here we are. Hey, Jerry, look at the sign on the cake. Dr. Heimer's sanitarium. Sanatorium. <laughs> a sanitarium? A sanatorium? A, a serotonium? Oh. Why are they taking us here? We've always been sanitary. <laughs> Come on, boys, right across this patch of grass. Gee, wooden grass. <laughs> Just a minute, I'll open the door. Gee, it's just like a hospital. Look at this barred door with a sign on it. It says, Don't open this door. Men inside crazy as bed bugs. <laughs> Pardon me, son. I know what the sign on our cell door says, but it's not true. We're not crazy. Would you do something to get us released? Gee, you sure sound all right to me. Don't you worry, mister. I'll I'll try and get you out of here. Oh, thank you, son. Thank you. Believe me, if you can do it, you'll have the eternal gratitude of all us bed bugs. (laughs) Dean... I'm really getting nervous. Let's get out of here. Yeah, maybe we can sneak through this door. Maybe it leads to an exit. Well, welcome in, boys. I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Sophie, what are you doing in a plate? Pl- play- Sophie! Yeah. Do it again. So how's the family? <laughs> Sophie, what are you doing in a place like this? Shh, quiet. In a place like this, I am a trustee here. I am in charge of the petty cash. Sophie, they trust you with their money? Yeah, and they think I'm crazy. <laughs> Isn't that silly? Now, now, how could I be crazy? Just look at me. I'm, I'm handsome. I'm, I'm suave. Curly hair. 940 miles tall. Four feet wide. 940 miles tall and four feet wide. Yeah, I was born on a train between New York and Chicago. (laughs) Oh, stop, Toby. We're in an awful jam. Dean and I saw a murder being committed, and we reported it to the police, and now here we are here. Oh, you're here, eh? You saw a murder, huh? Well, I'll tell you, you'll be all right. The only trouble with you is that you have got a new Rosas. Yeah, I know. I traded in my old Rosas. (laughs) 
which is a sickness, see? But when you said new roses, I said I traded in for my old roses. It's all a form of a gag. It's just funny because the words sounded alike, and uh, look how he's staring at me. <laughs> now, Sophie, tell us, what's the real reason that you're here? Well, I am, uh, I'm learning a business, you know, I... I open up a place of my own. <laughs> well, where will you get the customers? Why, all of my friends will come. Oh, you haven't got any friends who belong in a place like this? I haven't. I certainly do. Certainly do. I got... One of them is in the third cell down the hall now. I think she's an airplane. <laughs> hey, look, look. Here he comes now. <laughs> Well, what do you know? He changed his mind. <laughs> hey, look, fellas, I'll tell you, I'll see if I can get you. I'll see if I can get you out of here. But first, let's see if we can convince the doctor that you are sane, eh? Come on. Oh, come in, gentlemen. Come in. Oh, you'll have to excuse me, but I feel terrible. Bad news, very bad news. I lost my uncle in the East. He stepped down to get into a Hudson. What about it? It was the Hudson River <laughs> Hey, Soapy Isn't this guy slightly nuts himself? Well, I'll tell you I wouldn't be surprised He's got a good reason You know, once, once when he was operating on a patient And after he sewed him up Found out that he left his telephone inside Hey, that's terrible That's what drove him out of his mind, eh? Oh, yeah, naturally They were phoning him from Hollywood calling <laughs> Now, we'll give you the word association test. Just say the first word that pops into your head. Ready now? Table. Girl. Carpet. Girl. Chair. Girl. This little schnook is really nuts. <laughs> he thinks he's Errol Flynn. <laughs> now, come on, Jay. Do it right or we'll never get out of here. All right, now, once more. Cat. Meow. Dog. <laughs> Towel. Boom. <laughs> What was that? Cannon towel. <laughs> well, the word association test is no good. Come here, I'm going to tap your head with this little hammer. First in front. Then in the back. Now in the front of the next. Oh, shucks, another single-headed foul. <laughs> in here alone while I go get the head psychiatrist. Oh, now we're in for it, Jerry. I know how these psychiatrists work. They make you lie down on a couch and they cross-examine you. Well, I'll lie down on it. Oh, this is comfortable. So these guys just ask a bunch of questions, huh? Start talking, Jerry. What do I talk about? Tell me, did you ever have dreams as a child? No. You see, I was an incubator baby. Do you have dreams now? Yes. What do you dream about? Pressure cookers. <laughs> well, let's try another angle. How much is one and one? Two. How much is two and two? Let's go back to one and one. Ah, <laughs> uh, Jerry, cut that out. Come on, I hear footsteps in the hall. Oh, the psychiatrist was busy at the meeting, but I, I told the board about you two and got a ruling on your case. Now, I don't want you to be hurt, but it's obvious that you two are not quite like 
us. <laughs> Come on, doctor. What's the ruling? Get out of this asylum immediately, both of you. Get out? Yes, and don't you dare ever come around bothering us bedbugs again. <laughs> Ah, Jerry, our hotel room never looked so good before. But after what we've been through, the police and that sanitarium, anything would look good. Yeah, what a day. And all because we thought we saw a murder. Remember? I pulled up the shade to see if it was raining like this. And I happened to look across the court and... (laughs) What's the matter, Jerry? Look, a guy with a gun. He's repeating the murder for the West Coast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait, wait. I'll call the police. No. No, that won't do any good. Look, he's... Jerry, we've got to get the police. Yeah, no. Wait a minute. (laughs) Jerry, what are you laughing at? Look, the victim just turned into a can of red-hard dog food. (laughs) Jerry, you're hysterical. No, I'm not, Dean. Don't you see? All this trouble was for nothing. There were no murders. All the time we've been just seeing a television show. (laughs) Doggone those new 72-inch screens. Folks, see you next week, everybody. Martin Lewis Show, transcribed in Hollywood, is produced by Robert L. Redd and written by Charlie Isaacs and Jack Douglas. This has been another in the series of stellar comedy programs sent your way every day by the National Broadcasting Company. Always tune to NBC for the best in comedy, drama, music, news, adventure, and mystery. It's all yours for the listening on NBC. Screen Director's Playhouse has moved to Fridays in this same time period. Tune in Friday at this time and hear John Garfield in the Screen Director's Playhouse. Stay tuned for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Edmund O'Brien as Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Inspector Trabert returning your call, sir. Oh, yes, Inspector. Thanks very much. I wonder when I could talk with you about the Hannibal Murphy death. Well, at your pleasure, sir. Do I understand you've come all the way from the States? Yes. The news broke yesterday and his insurance company thought I'd better... The reports weren't quite clear on whether or not it was accidental. Then you haven't heard. Only that he somehow fell off a cliff. Oh, then I hope you'll pardon my being a bit nonplussed at your timely arrival. Mr. Murphy's death was definitely not accidental. Examination this morning revealed a bullet wound in his head. Edmund O'Brien in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Plymouth Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Hannibal Murphy matter. Expense account item one, $264.80, airfare and incidentals between Hartford and Kingston, island of Jamaica. After checking into the Myrtle Bank Hotel and reporting by phone to the British Constabulary, I went over late that morning and met the officer in charge. 
Well, Mr. Dollar, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Inspector Traven. Although news of the death of one of your countrymen is hardly the kind of invitation I should like to send you. If it hadn't been Mr. Murphy, I probably would have been invited to a murder someplace else. It's a popular pastime. What do you know about the Murphys, Inspector? I understand he's survived by a widow. Yeah, there's a brother also, Paul Murphy, and a stepdaughter, Felice. Oh, I didn't know about them. You mean they're all here in Kingston? Yes, the brother has lived here for the past two years, has a cottage just outside town. The deceased and his family were visiting him. They'd been here for two months. Anyone else? Two servants, an old cook and a young man who has rather general duties. Do you have any kind of a theory, Inspector? Since the fact of the murder was proved only this morning, no. Except that it was murder, the position of the wound in the head rules out suicide. Any suspicions, then? Uh, no, none that I wish to voice at the moment. Perhaps you'd like to visit the scene of the crime, or rather the point from which the body fell into the sea. Thanks, Inspector, I would. Like most British police officers, he was playing it close to the vest. But on the way, he did let me know that he considered the Murphys, including the surviving brother, to be people who had been spoiled by too much money, were completely selfish, and quite possibly could be hated by a number of people. After a drive of a few minutes, we left the car and crossed through a strip of shaded parkway to a bridle path that paralleled a cliff some hundred feet in height. At the bottom, breakers piled in against a jumble of coral and rocks. Here we are. We wrote the section off in case we might learn something from the marks, though I doubt we will. There, you see, on the edge, the torn earth and the broken branches. Yeah. His body was found below. Huh? Yes, it was discovered by a young islander who was searching for shellfish at an early morning low tide. You said the Murphy Cottage wasn't far away. Can you see it from here? No, it's beyond the trees there. The path turns inland before it reaches the grove. Does this cliff run near their place? Yes. I believe so that you and I share a common bewilderment. Well, if his killer met him here, why shoot him if he could have been pushed over the cliff and killed that way? Huh? Precisely. We should have had a devil of a time proving it was murder at all. Unless the killer wasn't strong enough to get him over while he was alive. Like a woman. That possibility that does present itself, doesn't it? Yet, if he'd been shot and fallen here, then dragged to the edge, there would have been signs. There are none. No bloodstains. Nothing. Yeah. So, unless he was shot somewhere else and carried here... We must visualize the victim and the killer standing side by side on the sheer edge of the precipice, gazing out to sea a moment before the shot was fired. Can we go to the house now? I had planned to wait until I had a more complete report from ballistics, but please feel free to pay them a visit if you wish. Thanks, Inspector. I should let them know I'm here. Uh, very good. Uh, come along. I'll drop you by. <laughs> theory that Murphy was shot someplace else had holes in it, too. If the idea was to dispose of the body, why dump it so close to his home? The mail servant answered my knock, told me Mrs. Murphy was resting, and left me on the veranda while he went to find out if she'd see me. A few seconds after he'd gone, I met another member of the household, a daughter, plain girl with short hair, gangling figure, and troubled eyes. What's the matter? Would me let you in? He thought I'd better wait out here. What do you want? I came to see Mrs. Murphy. About what happened? Yeah, I'm afraid so. My name is Felice. I'm her daughter. I can let you in. Oh, thanks. You're an American, aren't you? That's right. My name is Dollar. You've come here because of what happened to my stepfather. Why did you? I was sent by his insurance company in the States. Oh. 
I'd forgotten about that. I suppose he left a lot. He always did everything so handsomely. It wasn't an accident, you know. He was murdered. Somebody shot him. Yes, I know that. I suppose it'll be all sorts of trouble now. Police will come and ask all kinds of questions. Well, things like this are never pleasant. Are you worried about answering questions? Of course not. Why should I be? Just the way you mentioned it. Well, I'm not. I'll tell them everything I know and everything I thought about him. I'm not ashamed. Police. I had a right to hate him. Police. Stop it. Stop talking that way. It's true and you're not. Every awful thing that ever happened to me is his fault. He was filthy rotten. Stop it. (laughs) Go to your room. All right, I'll go. But you won't be able to send me away when the police come. I'll tell them. Get out of here. Yes, Mother. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. She really doesn't mean what she says. I'm terribly sorry. You don't have to be, Mrs. Murphy. But an outburst like that to a perfect stranger. I don't know what you must think. I think she's a pretty upset young woman. But she has no right to be. She's been an extremely difficult child. I don't know what else to say to you. I'm terribly ashamed for her. Now, would you come into the drawing room? Thank you. Please, sit down. You are an insurance investigator, Mr. Dollar. Yes, and if you feel up to it, I'd like to get as clear a picture as I can of what happened the night your husband was killed. I imagine that I shall have to put up with it, shan't I? Sooner or later, yes. It probably would have been easier if your husband's brother were here to take part of the responsibility. Oh, he went to make arrangements for flying my husband home. I'm not sure when he'll be back, but... I'll help all I can. All right. First, Mrs. Murphy, do you have any idea who could have killed your husband? Not the faintest idea, Mr. Dollar. You'd been here in Kingston for two months. Is that right? Yes. Could your husband have made any enemies during that time? Did he mention anything like that? No, he mentioned nothing. We've been about very little. We only met a few people, some of Paul's friends. But he couldn't have made any enemies. Who was here the other night? No one but Hannibal and Paul and Felice and I. And the servant, of course. Did your husband leave the house? Yes, of course he did. It's quite a strange question, Mr. Dollar, considering where he was found. I'm sorry. Why did he leave? Paul said he was going to take a walk. He was in the house when I went to my room. What time was that? Little past ten. Paul retired a short time later, and he remembered that Hannibal said he wasn't sleepy. Perhaps you would take a walk. And I take it your daughter had gone to bed, too. Yes. Do you mind if I talk to her? Oh, I'd rather you didn't. Why? Do you suspect her? I didn't say that. Do you? Of course not. Mother would hardly suspect her own daughter. Why don't you want me to talk to her? Because she's a poor, unbalanced girl who's filled with warped hates and misunderstandings. She'll say dreadful things about Hannibal. And about me. Things that are absolutely not true. She'll have to be questioned, Mrs. Murphy. Of course, I realize that. There's nothing more I can say. I'll show you to her room. But Felice wasn't in her room. I found her waiting for me on the bridal trail along the cliff. She'd been crying. I heard her say you were an investigator and I wanted to talk to you again. I knew I couldn't, and half so I waited here. Oh, glad you did. I don't know what's the matter with me. 
I shouldn't have said what I did. I meant it when I said it. No, I don't. I don't think I know quite what you mean. I'm awfully mixed up. The doctor tried to explain it to me. When my real father died, my mother was all I had. And when he came along, I thought he was stealing her from me. I thought I didn't didn't have anything anymore. How long ago was that? Been three years. I was fourteen when they were married. But he did take her away. He chucked me into an old school and went off on a trip. No, he didn't do it just to hurt me. Night, it would seem to me that he did. I tried to get over it, but I never could. That's why I'm glad he's dead. That's not a very wise thing to say, Felice. I can't help it. Do you have anything else you wanted to tell me? No. I wanted to explain why I acted the way I did in the house. I don't suppose you understand. Part of it, I think I do. Quite a few children have to adjust themselves to step parents these days. It's tough. Some do it better than others. I haven't done it well at all. Now I won't have to try anymore. I am sorry for the way I acted. I want to help you everywhere I can. How do you think you can help me? I'm not sure yet. But when I am, I'll let you know. All right, Felice. I'll be talking to you again. <laughs> I didn't know then what this strange, mixed-up girl was driving at. I got the impression that she wanted to talk more than she had. But I was fairly sure the way to bring it out was to wait rather than press it too hard. I checked in with Inspector Trabert, and his reactions were about the same as mine. On the strength of them, he called Paul Murphy into his office that afternoon. The last time I saw him was when I went to bed. We'd had a drink together, and he said he wasn't sleepy, and thought he might take a walk. Do you know how long after that he might have left the house? No, I'm sorry, I don't. I was dead tired. I went right to sleep. Was he in the habit of taking walks at night? Sometimes, yeah. But you didn't hear a shot? No, I didn't hear anything. How much time passed, would you say, between the time you left him and the time you were asleep? Oh, not more than 15 minutes, Inspector. Then he couldn't have left the house before, say, uh, quarter past 11. Yes, that'd be about it. And you're sure he didn't say anything about meeting anyone? He simply said he might take a walk. I'm not quite sure that I understand the importance of these questions. Uh, the importance there is this. Your brother was killed by a twenty-five caliber pistol fired at quite close range. I'm afraid we must assume that if he did not meet anyone, somebody either accompanied him or followed him. You mean you suspect someone in my house? You're only stating the facts. Someone was with your brother. We've ruled out the possibility of a robbery motive since both you and the widow have stated that none of his personal effects are missing. You can see how the thing narrows down, Mr. Murphy. Yes, I can. I don't know what to say. Do you mean that you suspect someone? No, no, I don't. If you do, Mr. Murphy, it would be to your advantage to come out with it. I'm afraid the duty of making accusations is yours, not mine. A commendable statement, sir, as long as you don't mean that you're withholding information. I'm not. I have no information at all. Very well, Mr. Murphy, you may go. When Paul Murphy left, we both felt that he, too, was holding back, that it would be a long time before he offered any information. But we were only half right. He phoned the office a few minutes after he had reached home. Yes? Have you called in your own doctor? Uh, Dr. Drummond, yes, I know him. 
Now, we'll send one immediately and come out ourselves. Yes, thank you very much, Mr. Murphy. Well, the stepdaughter attempted suicide. How serious? Mr. Murphy was quite beside himself, and it was hard to know. What did she do? Slashed her wrists, a method that is really successful. But the question is, why did she do it? We will return you to yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Later this evening, the gangbusters give a graphic illustration of what happens when the police hunt a criminal who is a perfectionist. When a gang leader leaves no stone unturned to commit the perfect crime, there's a rough manhunt ahead for the police. Here are the exciting developments when you tune in gangbusters later this evening on most of these same CBS radio stations. Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Inspector Trabert and I went right out to the Murphy residence, but were held back from Felice's room by both a private and an official physician. The latter was the last to leave her room. Well, Doctor, how is she? Yeah, you can see her now. As you might expect, she's in a highly emotional state. Yes. Oh, this is Mr. Dollar, Dr. Gurley. How do you do, sir? Dr. Gurley, is she going to be all right? Oh, yes, I think so. You can do a very good job of it. I, I think she needs a good psychiatrist. A very good one. She's evidently needed one for a long time. she say anything to you? No, nothing specific. Only that she hates everyone. Well, I wish you luck, gentlemen. I've got to run. Uh, thank you, Gurley. Bye, Doctor. Good day. Well. Yeah. Uh, Miss Murphy, we've been told we could see you. Don't call me Miss Murphy. That's not my name and it never has been. Hello, Felice. Hello, Mr. Dollar. Miss Heath. You remember me, Inspector Trabert. I spoke to you yesterday. I hardly remember yesterday. I hardly remember anything I don't want to. I want to forget. What do you want to forget? Everything. My whole life. It's been a waste. Nothing's been right. I hate her. Please, Miss... I don't care. I'm going to tell the truth. What is the truth? They killed him. My mother and Paul. I saw it all happening. You were a witness to the killing? I saw what was happening here. I saw what was happening in England last summer. At least I was glad. I thought he'd go away and I'd never see him again. Felice. When we came here, I knew it. If it weren't for him, it would be somebody else. I knew it would never stop. Felice, hold it. Slow down. I'm afraid you'll have to be more specific, young lady. Do you mean that the marriage between your mother and stepfather was not a happy one? It started last summer in England. She was getting tired of him. I heard them fighting and calling one another names. They tried to hide it from me because they knew it would make me happy. But I heard them. She wanted to divorce him. He wouldn't let her. What happened the other night, Felice? I knew what was happening here, too. I heard them arguing the other night after they sent me to my room. Then I heard Mother go to her room. Then they left the house. Your stepfather and Paul left the yes. house? Did you see them leave? Yes. And then I heard the shot. What time did you hear it? Do you remember? Yes, I remember. It was quarter past eleven. I remember because I was lying in bed, awake. And when I heard it, I sat up and I turned on my lamp. And I looked at the clock. Then I turned the lamp off again and went to the window. 
Why haven't you told us this before, Felice? I don't know. It's awfully mixed up. She's my mother. At first, I thought I should protect her. And I thought of everything she'd done to me. She never wanted me. She threw me away. She's never been a real mother. I've always hated her. That's why I'm telling you. Hate her and I want her to be punished for everything. I shall expect you to repeat this in the form of a sworn statement, Miss Felice. I will, but you've got to take me away from here now. I can't stay here, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what they'll do. The girl was moved to the police hospital and later that day repeated her statement under oath. But about the time she was doing that, there was another development. Inspector Travert received a call from the proprietor of a second-hand shop that specialized in fishing tackle and guns. Uh, after you, sir. Good afternoon. Are you Mr. Innes? I am. Inspector Travert. Oh, I thought you were police when you came in. This is Mr. Dollar, an American investigator. How'd you do, sir? I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Ennis. We want to thank you for phoning about the gun. Well, I thought it was my duty. I've uh, I've been reading about the murder, and when this chap came in here to tell me a pistol what was the same caliber as the missing weapon, I said to myself, you up to the phone and tell the police. Could we see the pistol, please? I've got it right here behind the case. Here we are. Uh, wait a moment. Have you handled it much? Handled it? Of course I've handled it. I had to look it over before I paid him for it. If this is the murder weapon, I'd like to protect any fingerprints that might remain. Uh, Let me pick it up. Hmm. A Webley, Mr. Dollar. And it's been in England. Would you recognize the man who brought it in, Mr. Innes? I think so. There's not much trade in guns here, you know. Fishing gear, mostly. I think this is the first gun I've bought in six months. Yes, yes, I'd remember him. Would you describe him, Mr. Innes? I'd try. He was about my size, I'd say, uh... A little heavier. He had what you'd call brown hair. He was tan. Is he English or American? He was English as I am. Well, thank you, Mr. Innes. It's possible you may be called upon for identification. Happy to oblige, Inspector. Uh, But uh, what about the money? I paid four pounds for that pistol. In view of Felice's sworn statement, Inspector Trabert was forced to make an arrest. So for the last time, we return to the Murphy residence. And I shall have to remind you that anything you say may be held in evidence against you. You mean that you're arresting us for Hannibal's murder? There's nothing else I can do, sir. I have a statement given under oath to the effect that you and the deceased left this house together the night of the murder. That's not true. That the sound of a shot was heard and that you were then seen returning to this house alone. That isn't true. There's not one word of truth in it. I didn't leave the house with him. Can you prove that, Mr. Murphy? Why, Alice, you know I didn't leave, don't you? Of course he didn't. Can you prove it, Mrs. Murphy? I understood you to say you were in your room, that you went to sleep immediately and heard nothing. My daughter made that statement, didn't she? Under oath and before witnesses. But she lied. I told you she would, Mr. Dollar. She'd do anything to hurt me. You've got to believe that. Alice, wait. What did she say was my reason for killing my own brother? Because of your love for his wife. Oh, she's insane. How can you believe these things? You're men of intelligence. We're men who are used to working with evidence. A sworn statement is admissible evidence unless it can be proved false. Neither one of you seems to be able to do that. Paul! I don't think we'd better say any more until we've legal counsel. 
No, I won't let her do this to me. We can't, Paul. I think he killed him. She hated him. She's the only one in the house that had reason to it's kill him. no good, Alice. What are you going to do with this, Inspector? I shall have to take you to jail. Sorry. Oh, you can't... Will you give us a few minutes to get ready? Of course. Come on, Alice. Oh, you can't... Go get your things. Everything will be all right. <laughs> what do you think, Inspector? Well, to be quite honest, I'm not sure, but I know my duty as a policeman. The strength of that statement and their innocence or guilt are up to the courts to decide. Less formally, though, it's a pretty frightening thing to think of. If that girl and her mental frame of mind could suddenly decide that she was a witness, make a sworn statement, and bring all this down on two innocent people. Yes, I know, but the fact remains that they have absolutely nothing to say in their own defense. I've got to arrest them. <laughs> Paul Murphy were taken in, and I couldn't get out of my mind the strength of the case against them as far as the Crown went, a strength built on the fact that there was no evidence and were no witnesses to refute Felice's statement. I suppose that as far as the insurance angle went, my job was done. But after I left Inspector Trabert, I went to the hospital to see the girl again. Hello, darling. How are you feeling? I feel awfully lonely. They rest, Mother and Paul. Yeah. And I'm all alone. She'll never want me back now, no matter what happens. But she never wanted me anyway. I'm glad I did it. If you told the truth, you have nothing to worry about. What do you mean? I've nothing to worry about. I mean, if you told the truth, you did the right thing. But if you didn't, you've done one of the worst things anyone could do. Of course I told the truth. You believe me, don't you? That doesn't make any difference. The inspector did. But you do, don't you? You don't think I was lying, do you? I hope not. You think I could make it all up? You think I could do a thing like that? I hope not. I couldn't. I know what you're thinking. I told you how I hated her and how I hated him. But I could never say the things I said if they weren't true. I could never do a thing like that. How did you happen to see the two men leave the house together? You never really explained that. I was looking out the window. I thought you were in bed. Not then. You saw them leave, then went to bed, then you heard the shot, then you got up again and went back to the window? Yes, that's right. Was your light on when you saw them leave? I... no. But you turned it on when you heard the shot? Yes. Then you turned it off and got out of bed and went back to the window? Yes. And who did you see? I told you, Paul. You were sure it was Paul? Yes, I was sure. Why were you sure? I saw him. Why were you sure it was Paul? Why didn't you think it was your stepfather? I knew it was Paul. Because I had a feeling that something was going to happen. Don't ask me any more questions. You better get use of them. The defense attorney is going to be asking the same kind if this gets into the courts. Well, I won't bother you anymore, Felice. I guess you're tired. You don't believe me, do you? I told you. It doesn't make any difference. As I mentioned, the matter was out of my hands by that time, and I was sort of 50 50 on believing the girl. I made my plane reservations on my way back to the hotel, but when I asked for my key, I got and sent a message to phone Inspector Traver. When I did, he told me, A, that the 25 caliber Webley from the shop was the murder gun, and B, that some prints on it had checked to a known criminal who had confessed the shooting. He asked me if I wanted to come over. It's an incredible turn of events. Raises perfect hob with the girl's statement in any case we thought to build from it. On the other hand... Oh, here. 
I should like to have you meet Mr. Roy Church. What are you doing back, Copper? You beat it out of me, so now you've got it. Dropped quite a bombshell into this, Mr. Church. Tell Mr. Dollar in your own words how you came to kill Mr. Murphy. Why should I? You've told him, haven't you? No, I doubted he would believe me. I'd like to hear, Church. His ruddy brother said he was going to pay me to do it. Paul Murphy? Yes. Promised me 500 pounds, he did. Paid me 100, and I waited two blinking weeks on that trip for his brother to take his walk. And I got welsh by that dirty beggar. Why, well, I had to sell the pistol. Tell him why, Mr. Church. I was supposed to take this here Murphy's wallet to make it look like robbery. But he fell over the cliff when I shot him, and I couldn't reach him. That'll be all, Mr. Church. Thank you very much. Think nothing of it. Well, Mr. Dollar? Well, this means there is no word of truth in that signed statement, except that maybe she heard the shot. She didn't see the men leave the house or Paul come back. She didn't know anything. Yes, a rather spiteful statement, but fortunately true in content. They did have the man killed. I don't know what to do about that girl. What would you do? Luckily, I can leave the whole mess in your hands, Inspector. But I wish you'd come up and work a nice, simple Hartford murder with me sometime. Do you good. Expense account item two, same as item one, transportation. Back to Hartford. Item three, miscellaneous expenses, $204.80. Expense account total, $734.40. Remarks? I can't help wondering what would have happened if Felice's sworn statement had been entirely false and the widow and Paul entirely innocent. I wonder if they would have been hanged anyway. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen starring in the Paramount Pictures Technicolor production, Silver City. Featured in tonight's cast were Eric Snowden, Virginia Gregg, Jeanette Nolan, Ben Wright, Charles Davis, and Dan O'Hurley. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dan Coverley inviting you to join us next week at this time when Edmund O'Brien returns as yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons, followed by Burns and Allen. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.